competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul, your host. I'm joined by Nick Nanavati. Hello, everyone. So good to be back. And we have a format-busting episode, format-breaking set of topics, and we're joined by Mr. Richard Siegler. Absolute pleasure to be here, Paul and Nick. Can't wait to talk about Necrons. Oh, way to just spoil the whole thing right I, there. I'm going right there. Come on. <laughs> took the wind out of my sails. Is going to build up to this uh, robotic hype. But th- I want to remind everyone, this is part one of a two-part episode. There's obviously been a lot of changes in the game happening recently in the last few weeks, you know, with the balanced data slate, with FAQs, erratas, what have you. So it's kind of shaking things up. And one of the armies that has been basically just kind of getting benefit after benefit after benefit is the Necrons. Weren't the Necrons like the first army book? They were. Yeah, and they also were like forgotten about. They were getting like no love for the longest time. I thought they were done for this edition. Uh, Core was like this precious thing that only a select few units, you know, got. And and everything. I mean, I don't want to talk about how necessarily the lore meets the game or what have you, but you know, everything was passed through the the characters, the nobles, out into you know the more soulless as you got farther and further away from the Silent King. And I think that kind of mimic itself in this kind of core and how you could you know layer buffs and that kind of stuff and now kind of snap back flavor's all there but now the power's there too correct me if i'm wrong you are 100 percent right so necrons had five units um that had core in their original book and games workshop last year went ahead and added a bunch so the canoptic units many of them as well as some of the destroyer units gained core which was awesome because core interacts with most of the necron buffs like plus one move plus one to hit re-rolls from the silent king all the main synergistic rules interact with core now in the latest update all vehicle data sheets gain core and that is amazing because that includes the Silent King and the Catacomb Command Barge, uh, which synergize really well with the Necron secondary game. So almost every Necron data sheet, besides a couple like Scarabs and the Canoptic Doomstalker, have gained core. And so the army, even though it doesn't have the most powerful 9th edition rules, because it's an early codex, at least all of the units do benefit from their main rules, which is important. I like how you brought up the secondaries and the and the cores and the, and the the layering of buffs and also the Silent King. Silent King is one of those unique units. Well, one, it's it's massive and epic. What you might hear me talk about on other shows is like if you actually successfully build and paint a Silent King, you probably you like you deserve to use them every game. So people shouldn't give you grief. I have a story to share about this. Sieg's the maniac that he is. This is back when we were in back in the old stream house for the Art of War. He got the Silent King. He was all excited. He's like a kid on Christmas. And he's like, I'm going to build this thing. And then he busts it out. And it's like a thousand pieces. It's, it's like a nightmare of a kid. I'm like, I could never be a Necron player. I just can't physically do this. And he just sat there like a robot, literally building this thing, painted it all night. I swear to God, he didn't sleep that night. He just, it, all of a sudden, the Silent King was there. And he was on stream the next day. Robotic efficiency. I- I am the biggest believer in the majesty of the Silent King, and he deserved to hit the table immediately because we had a stream game the following day, and I wanted to put him on immediately. So uh, uh, I, I heck did. yeah, That's the and I haven't looked back since. Does every Necron list now start with the Silent King? Is like, are you are you starting with sixteen hundred points in any Necron list? In my opinion, there is only one other potential build that wouldn't include the Silent King, and that's Triple Catan. But pretty much every list that I build, 
Silent King is automatic. He gives you everything you could possibly want. He gives you three CP, which in this kind of command point economy, absolutely mandatory, especially because Necrons want to run multiple detachments to get as many data sheets on the board as possible, especially fast attack slots. On top of that, he's your main anti-psychic defense, and everybody wants to take psychic ritual nowadays. Everybody wants to get in the middle of the table and start doing psychic actions. Well, the Silent King can shut them down. And then on top of that, he is just a beast in combat. His shooting's amazing. He synergizes with turning off cover, and he can pick Way at your opponent's durable uh, units at range, and then he just synergizes with all the melee units that Necrons have, which gain core over the past year. He, he's just the whole package. Absolutely love him. He's got fight last, so you can engage in multiple spots at once and do crippling damage. Uh, I, he is everything. And then on top of that, he synergizes amazingly well with the secondary game, um, specifically Code of Combat, where nobles get kills, and it's improved now. So if you kill something in shooting, it's three points. If it's in combat, it's four. And if you kill a character, you gain a command point. And so it's so easy with him just by himself without even any support to rack up a good score on Code of Combat. And that's amazing for a Th- This heat's coming too fast. We're talking about abilities, then we're talking about secondaries. Like He does it all. Yeah, I mean, he does slice and dice, you know, the whole bag. But can we can we break it down a bit? Like, what do you need to build around this guy? Hold on, Paul. That kind of leads into a question I wanted to ask here. Oh, so- sure. Silent King is clearly awesome, and you love him. And the fact that he, yeah. he, the whole army just gained the core keyword, and he himself is a core keyword. I don't even know what they're thinking. He's crazy pants. Damn <laughs> way. But like Paul just said, what do you put around him? And I want to get a little more high, high level than that. The whole game changed, right? We don't, it, we don't have a defined meta of like we have to beat the Tyranid army or the Tau's the boogeyman. You know, these armies just got nerfed. We have no idea what's good and bad to a degree. We're taking our best guesses. But how do you go about, because this is a question everyone's asking themselves, how do you go about breaking down the new meta and approaching list building? And then from here, how do you finish your Necron list? So Nick, Tau is always a boogeyman. You know that better than anybody. Taunar, we're not going to talk about him. <laughs> I love the Taunar as well. But uh, this is about the Silent King. So how do, what do you build around him? Well, first of all, you have to analyze what do Necrons actually do well as a faction. They're, like I mentioned, they have... Basically, the ninth edition Necron Codex is a bunch of 8th edition rules strapped together on a ninth edition Codex. So they don't have the power of Tyranids or Tau. Even some of the more older books like Drukhari and Admech have outstanding ninth edition rules. Necrons don't have that. What do they have? They have some of the best traits in the game. Their best rules are their traits. And in particular, they have a custom dynasty that you can pick obsec and a pregame move. And then on top of that, their new secondary game from uh, the Nephilim GT packet, if you play match play, is outstanding. They have four secondaries, all of which are viable. So they have a plethora of options here, and most of them relate to board control except for code of combat, which is about killing units. So you don't even have to take it. And their secondaries are so um, easy to score if you build in the custom dynasty list with a lot of just MSU, which is multiple small units, fast, mobile, uh, core or canoptic units to be able to do actions and secure the objectives. If you build around this, you can score something like in some of the games I've been playing, I get like 13 secondary points in the first two turns each turn. So 13 points and then turn two, 13 points. And then I pretty much round out most of my secondaries by turn three. That is something that's very rare in the game. To be able to rack up such a high score early and be able to focus on denying your opponent's primary points, this gives Necrons an advantage in the scoring game. Their killing power, their durability, it's not particularly good. They can die. Um, They don't have outstanding um, power in either of those categories. But what they do well is score a lot of points very quickly. 
And this can result in you winning a game even though you end up losing all your models. And that is typical of how Necrons play against the top armies uh, in this new meta, I believe. So I am fully on board of let's get the custom dynasty going. Let's get obsec everywhere. Let's touch the objectives in the first three turns. Score up so many points that my opponent can't possibly come back. And that is the philosophy that I am building around because I think it's what Necrons do the best. It's their greatest synergy between the Codex and their dynasties and the secondaries that they have, their easiest ways to get points. I'm going to zoom out for just a a second here. And you mentioned the secondaries and how all four of them are good. In your opinion, when you're looking at like a, a list to how to approach or tackle the meta, do, do the secondaries and how attainable they are, where on the priority scale, like the list of needs, does that slot in for you? It's extremely high for me. Um, I typically am known for playing a more defensive style where I set up a board position with my movement and how I deploy. And in that situation, if neither me or my opponent do anything, I just win the game. So immediately I want to force my opponent to have to act. And usually when they act, then I can take advantage of any mistakes that they make. So I'm a very reactive, defensive type of player in that sense. So because I like playing this style, I really want to set up with Necrons a situation where I am going to, if my opponent doesn't act very quickly, rack up so many points that they are in a deficit. And now they need to start making risky plays, those those nine-inch charges. They need to make some key, they need to like advance a unit out to be able to get an angle the next, the following turn. But by exposing this unit, they might lose it in return. Stuff like that. So that's kind of my philosophy in building towards most lists. And that comes together with the secondary game where... I need to be able to set up a situation. I did this with Admech. I did this with my Necron builds, my Tau builds. I want to set up a situation where if my opponent doesn't really act, I'm going to rack up almost all my points. Okay, they don't have anything to do about that. And once you're in that power position, the complete onus is on your opponent. And I like that. I like putting pressure on my opponent. They have to sit there. I'm going to pass the clock to them. And they're going to take a good like 10, 15 minutes to try and figure out what, what they can do in this situation. Even very good players need to take that time. I love the way you emphasize the clock play there too, just putting all the time on on figuring out your plan and executing it rather than executing it and the dice rolling and things like that. Just have one plan, just go forward and chop things down. Right. With respect to your approach to the game, right? You're you're building your army to accomplish secondaries and play the mission very well, basically, and that's unique to Necrons. That's a departure from the Necrons you had been playing, and this army has always existed, right? So, Obsec has never been new to Necrons as a dynasty. Pre-game move is not new. You've always favored Novaker or other styles of Necrons surrounded by the Silent King, so now that all that stuff is better, because Silent King got buffed and more things got core, I'm surprised you're departing that. What's why? Why pick a new direction all of a sudden? Yeah, it's a great question. So two reasons. First of all, the command protocols, which is Necron's army-wide rule, it changed. And it changed in several ways, one of which is you no longer have to be near a character to benefit from it. And then on top of that, you get to pick one of them that you didn't choose for a battle round, and it is active the entire game. This is critical because you pick uh, you can pick plus one move, which is very good, or the one that I like uh, quite a bit, especially if you're running melee counter assault like Scorpec Destroyers, is plus one strength. 
And if by getting plus one strength for the whole game, you basically emulate what us, the uh, Novak list did, which was for two critical turns, whether it was turn two and three or three and four, you would pop protocol, the hungry void, the command protocol and get plus one strength and extra AP to wound on sixes to wound. And because now you're with custom dynasty, you can just pick plus one strength army wide the whole game. You are very close to the damage potential of Novak. Obviously, Novak has extra AP, but you don't really need that when you have the Silent King and multiple score pack destroyer units. They're already hitting at AP4 and AP3, so unnecessary. And then on top of that, yes, uh, Novak can get access to the uh, plus one attacks, but on five models, it's one CP for five extra attacks. It's not a huge deal. Plus one strength, being able to be in that protocol for multiple turns and benefit from both was the main benefit of Novak. And now I just don't think it's quite as impactful. And that is why I want to go with Custom Dynasty. And then on top of that, there is a uh, secondary called Ancient Machineries. It's an action secondary. What you have to do is a core or canoptic unit touches an objective that's not in your deployment zone. And if you control it, you can start the action and you get four points for scoring it. But you, in order to complete the action at the end of your turn, you must be objective secured. And hence, I, Necron units are so flimsy that if they start an action on an objective and your opponent can get an angle or able to make a charge onto it, they're just going to kill the unit and you're going to lose the points because you won't finish the action. So OBSEC is critical to be able to score those points very easily with, say, 16-inch moving Tomb Blades or a unit of Scarabs or a unit of Wraiths, whatever it is. They can very easily hop out with OBSEC, they finish it at the end of your turn, and then the points are just in the bag. These are the two main reasons that I favor Custom Dynasty now, whereas I had previously favored uh, Novak. That's a great answer. Actually, I really had no idea where all this direction came from, so I'm glad I asked. That's cool. With your army, you said it's it's unique to Necrons in that you are able to score, you said 13 points in turn one, 13 points on turn two on your secondaries, which puts you 26 of the points there already, and the other ones are going to fall into place very, not even necessarily all the way to 15, 15, 15, but... You're, gonna, you're not far away from maxing them out, and you're only two-fifths of the way through the game. How does that actually allow you to play differently, not having to worry about your secondary so much in later turns? So it allows you to normally, Necrons, because their secondary game wasn't quite as strong, they had to at least conserve some of their resources going into the, the bottom turn, turn five. However, now I believe that you can trade all of your resources by the end of turn four, and you will still be in a fine spot. Even if your opponent's getting, say, they have bottom of turn five and they can get a 12 on primary, you have scored so many points and denied them so many primary points that it doesn't matter what happens on turn five. Yeah, when you say trade all of your resources, you mean grind yourself down to the nub, like have zero models. Exactly. Maybe you only have a couple units, like your immortals sitting on your backfield or crypto thralls or just the Silent Kings alive in the center of the board. The plasma site. No, the plasma site can't be uh, alone by itself. That's the only thing. <laughs> they, they, they figured that out. A 15-point model hiding in your backfield would be uh, quite powerful. So they found that one, uh, like they did with most of the Necron rolls. They sniffed out any sort of abusive things. So for me, I am more free to play a style in which I can lose most of my army by turn four and still be in such a comfortable position that the final turn is irrelevant. So... Um, there was a huge deal when we switched from 8th edition to ninth edition, was going from 6 turns to 5 turns. That dramatically changed the pacing of the game. Well, now, with this Necron build, you can actually change the game to a 4-turn game effectively, because you rack up all your points in that time span. And that is something that a lot of armies are not used to playing against. And so, by setting the tone there, 
you put a lot of people and a lot of armies out of their comfort zone by forcing action a lot quicker. Because you don't want to walk into, you know, 15 Scorpec Destroyers and the Silent King on turn two to make sure that the Necrons are dead by turn three. That's just a hard proposition to make. So I found that this pressure has resulted in my opponents making mistakes earlier in the game and allowing me to capitalize them for capitalize on them for even greater advantages. And mistakes, do you feel like those mistakes are playing? And this is a little bit of the subject matter of part two of the conversation that we'll have later. But do you find those mistakes are based off of inaction or too aggressive? Like where 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 are those mistakes coming in? It could be both. It's it could be the fact that they think they have an extra turn because they're like, I got bottom of turn on turn five. I'm going to easily be able to get my twelve here. I'm going to finish off my secondaries. Well, it doesn't matter. I already scored over eighty seven points, and maybe they're going to be capped at like an eighty three. So the game is irrelevant by turn five. That's that's what I, you know. If they play too defensive, now it often happens that people get too aggressive against Necrons because. Necrons are one of the armies that doesn't do obscene damage, but they can do quite a bit of damage if you don't respect them. And, you know, my very good friend, Mr. Jack Harpster, just found that out today when he charged the Silent King with a bunch of stuff. And I just happened to make a bunch of four of invulns. And because he he was going to... Uh, you never want to make the plans try to make Seeks feel four of invulns. That's a losing proposition. I mean, everybody tries to kill the Silent King in melee. And what I really like about him now is because you don't have to take Code of Combat. So you don't have to rely on him surviving the whole game to secure those points. He is actually a full turn of damage from your opponent. If they want to actually inter- you know, kill him, they need to do a full turn's worth of damage to him, which is usually a bunch of shooting goes into him, a bunch of combat. And that clears the way for your other units, which benefit from the dynasty traits, OPSEC in particular, to be able to control the objective game. And so uh, I... Break down a full he, turn worth of damage. You mean like their entire army has to... You, he will soak, he will... Almost blank your opponent's turn if with a little bit of luck. Pretty much. I be, before the changes, I tried to keep the Silent King alive the whole game. Maybe he was at the last, or my army didn't really function as well, or I took code of combat and needed him to survive. And also, command protocols were linked to having a noble on the battlefield instead of now just simply a character. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why you wanted to keep the Silent King alive previously. In the new update, especially because you don't have to take code of combat as a reliable secondary, you can throw him away. You can send him into the middle of your opponent's army to help move block, to tie up resources, to kill a bunch of key resources, to potentially explode in the middle of their lines, all of that stuff on like a turn three, and then they're forced to deal with him. And by forcing them to deal with him on that turn, they don't have enough resources to take care of uh, your remaining units on uh, that will score your final points on turn four. This is what I found. I'm more free to play an aggressive game because of the changes to Necrons. Is, do you think that's a change to the game overall? Because I found in my similar teachings in the war room and, and coaching with whoever, I'm encouraging people to just take armies that can play 40k, for lack of better terms, and you're going to have to get more aggressive to the last is gone. There isn't points for staying alive. Just go out there and interact with the board and go get your points as a philosophy. Do you think that's a Necron-specific thing or a game shift? I think it's also true for a couple other armies. Tau in particular, which was an army that just took Stranglehold, it took to the last, and it took either banners or retrieved Nackman data. It took very secondaries which were entirely in their hands. Now, they don't have that to the last to, to rely on. They can actually just use their big crisis breaks and trade into big portions of their opponent's army. So for Tau, I think they will adopt a much more aggressive play style, uh, similar to the one that uh, Tom Ogden typically plays. I believe uh, the Art of War podcast has interviewed him several times, but he jams those crisis suits in the center. 
And boy, does he just try and trade them turn after turn to do crippling damage to the opponent so they have nothing left. So instead of like Necrons just trying to control the uh, mission playing game and not really kill every one of your opponent's units, the Tau Army has the damage potential to kill your opponent's units so that the mission play is they don't, don't score any points because they're dead, which is the opposite philosophy, but can still work in this aggressive, I am just going to uh, win this game in four turns type of style. Very interesting. Yeah, it sounds brutal. Okay, so now we got that kind of concept of how the army plays, what your play style, your personal play style might be. Now let's talk about like what would go in this list. What, and then if there is a reality where you wouldn't take the Silent King, uh, what would you take? And the Silent King, it, you're correct me if I'm wrong, is is one of those special characters, big name characters that can actually go in any dynasty, even customs. So yeah, he goes in the Supreme Command, and uh, in there he's a dynastic agent, so he doesn't benefit from dynasty traits, but is a it's considered a Zerikin detachment, so you get access to the four up deny strat, which is useful in this very this meta in which people are encouraged because other secondaries got worse to take psychic secondaries. And it's a huge weakness in Necrons generally, but the Silent King is your main tool against those type of points. And boy, is he just a champion at denying psychic secondaries. Well, it sounds like even if you took eight points off your opponent, that's, I mean, that could be game over around two. They don't even know it. Exactly. If they're going to get like a three on warp ritual, uh, you're in an amazing spot because you just spend your Necrons have CP to spend, so they can just reroll their deny attempt every single time or spend the one CP to four up deny it. You could even and do the both, Silent King already right? wants to be in a midfield position. If you're willing to spend two CP, you could deny, reroll your deny, roll a four up. At that point, you're likely to stop it. Exactly. And if you do that, you know, the three turns in a row, because you don't really need command points elsewhere, you have that liberty as Necrons, especially since the Silent King gives you three command points pre-game. You're just, that that's another point sink. And uh, getting to the list, um, I'll just continue the point. I actually designed my list. T- typically, Necrons give up no prisoners, which is based on the, uh, the amount of uh, wounds that you have in your army. That isn't linked to vehicles, monsters, characters. And uh, typically, Necron lists just give a 15 on that. Well, I've designed a list that only gives up uh, between eight or nine points, unless there's a ridiculous amount of reanimations, which I have been known to do, though not always. So that is a point where your opponent, if you were already denying one of their secondaries... you Siegs, because you just started to say you didn't... You, you, you haven't put reanimation in your army. And I just need to say your warriors are out of this world. They're not in here, so I'll get to that. The The warriors <laughs> are not here. I just don't think they fit with this list. I don't, but I'm traumatized by your warriors, okay? I just So is it. Jack. So is Jack. Even John. Who isn't? All right, let's get into this list. So we've got a custom dynasty here, like I mentioned, Eternal Conquerors, which is Obsec, and then Relentlessly Expansionist. That's the six-inch pregame move. Like I said, this custom dynasty combination synergizes so well with Necron's secondary game that you are able to effortlessly score points. Then we've got in the patrol detachment a Technomancer with the Canoptic Cloak. We have five Immortals. I absolutely despise Immortals. They are so overcosted for what they bring, but they are the cheapest troop choice, and that's why they're here. Then we got five Scorpec Destroyers, a Transcendent Catan, who is a Cosmic Tyrant, so they know two of the Catan powers, and he knows Antimatter Meteor and Seismic Assault. Almost always in my first command phase, I'm going to spend one CP to switch out one of those powers for Sky of Falling Stars, which is the critical power and the reason that I believe Catan, after they went down in points, are a very strong choice for Necron armies, because it is an essentially indirect fire mortal wounds. You pick pick, uh, up to three units within 24 inches, you don't need line of sight, and if you roll under the number of models in the unit, six always fails, you do D3 mortal uh, mortal wounds to that unit. So 
This is like, again, Sisters of Battle, which is a very strong army right now, or something like Admech with all their Ranger Bricks. If you pick multiple of their units every turn and put down a consistent two mortal wounds per Catan into those units, they are completely whittled by the time they want to get in the middle of the table. And this is just a huge advantage for Necrons against those armies that have more efficient and cheaper trade pieces that do damage. But the case of nine Zephyrim becoming four Zephyrim on turn three, that's a huge difference. And that's something Necrons can easily survive. So I think this is a huge tool and I think it is worth running again. I was not a big fan of the Catan previously before the points decreases, but I really, really like them quite a bit uh, now. Then I have two Doom Scythes, another unit that I was not a huge fan of. It used to be a 200-point flyer with no core. Now it's a 165-point uh, flyer with core, so it can get plus one to hit from the Silent King. Or we roll state and shooting from the Silent King. It doesn't have amazing defense, but it has uh, it's relatively low profile on things like WTC terrain. You can hide them you know, from at least non-extreme angles, and they do quite a bit of consistent damage. They have 10 Tesla shots, uh, which means on sixes to hit is two additional hits. That's very effective, especially when you're hitting on twos with full rerolls in the Silent King. Macross just seem to roll a lot of sixes. I roll a lot of sixes, so it's just a natural <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> Finally, I've got that on camera, on podcast, locked, loaded, put this in the same I mean, file. <laughs> I, I rolled no sixes on the first attempt, and then uh, uh, against Jack, I was like, all right, I'm going to reroll everything, and then I rolled like six sixes. And you're a completely bad person. Done. You're not even it's a person. Rough. You're a bad robot. What a good good moment for the stream. So it's a good profile for Necrons because even though it doesn't have AP, Necrons have a one CP stratagem to pick an enemy unit and you ignore all the benefits of cover for that phase. So you can just put volume of fire onto enemy units and they don't benefit from cover, which is a huge deal nowadays. And then it has uh, three strength 12, AP4, flat three plus D3 damage shots. And this combined with the Silent King's Meneers means Necrons actually can have consistent anti-tank downrange which has been something that they've been lacking for quite a while, in my opinion. And it's on a at least relatively durable platform compared to uh, Locust Heavy Destroyers. Then I have an Outrider Detachment. We've got a Chronomancer in here with the Veil of Darkness to be able to teleport a core unit. Now, the Silent King is core, but he is not the same dynasty, so you cannot target him in this list. If he was, if this was a Zerikin army, then I could potentially do that. Then I got five Scorpec Destroyers, uh, another Transcendent Catan, this time with uh, also Cosmic Tyrant, but he has Sky of Falling Stars and Transdimensional Thunderbolt as his powers, two of the best, in my opinion. But why is that? Like, what, what do those do? So I mentioned Sky of Falling Stars already. That's the indirect, uh, essentially out-of-line-of-sight mortal wounds power. The Transdimensional Thunderbolt goes off on a 2+, and if it goes off the unit you target uh, within 24 inches, uh, line-of-sight uh, takes D3 mortals, and everything within 3 inches of it takes a mortal on a 4-up. So there's a lot of armies that want to string their units back to important characters to get various buffs. This is a very powerful tool to do a lot of splash mortals. And then on top of this, Necrons off of Tesla weapons have a 1 CP strap malevolent arcing to also do splash mortal wounds on 4-ups to units within range. So you can actually pump up a lot of mortal wounds very quickly with this army. And I think that is something that Necrons have been lacking is just damage. And I've gone for damage in the form of the Flyers with the Silent King and also these mortal wounds. So there's damage coming all over the table from every different angle. Then I have uh, in this Outrider 3x3 three three Tomb Blades, not a unit you saw previously because it has a pretty awful defensive and offensive profile. However, it went down 5 points, and I believe it plays the Necron secondary game extremely well with Treasures of the Aeons, Ancient Machineries. Because of that, 
it is uh, just a very cheap 60-point unit that can float around the board and rack up points very quickly. So that's why it's in here, not for damage. Finally, three rates are in this. They're more durable than the Tomb Blades, but can fill the same role. This could be units of Scarabs instead, but like I said, I was trying to avoid giving up a ton of no-prisoner points, and Scarabs are the key culprit in giving up those points. Finally, Supreme Command, Zerikin, led by the Silent King himself. He is the crux of this army, and it's a linchpin. And a beast, as we've covered. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. I really like the army. I think it's a different take on Necrons, and one, I think, that's been explored a little bit, you know, Obsect Dynasty, with a small three-man scares and stuff, but I don't know that it's been explored uh, in this new light and not to this degree. And certainly, I don't think that build typically runs the Silent King either, so it's interesting to see that combo with the Doom Sides and all that. Your army is a lot different than it used to be, at least the variations I've seen in that it's a lot more elite. You have, you've always had the Silent King, but now there's also a Satan and there's these Doom Sides. So there's very little in the way of footprint. There's no reanimating warrior bricks that I've come to love, loathe, loathe, loathe that's the word, so much. Love. You know you love it. <laughs> it slipped out there. You heard it. Uh, Seamus, got the editor right here. Um, <laughs> so uh, you do, like, when you deploy the army and you put it on the board, it's it's like shadow boxing, right? There's, like, not much there to it, and there's not much substance. substance. Tons of three-man units, a five-man score pet destroyer, and a few elite big mobbles. How do you actually maneuver this thing around the table and play with it? Yeah, so uh, overall... The old-style Necron list that you were familiar with that I like to run, which is the Silent King, followed by like huge bricks of destroyers all over the board. I'd have like three Ophidian units, three Scorpec units, some Wraiths, just tons of melee units that took up quite a bit of space. And yes, with the pregame move, you can hide them as best as possible, but you were always you know, struggling to hide everything. This army, like you said, has a smaller footprint, and it's more elite in the sense that I have a lot of points in several damage deal, essentially five real damage dealing units that synergize with each other for the most part. So how does the list operate? Well, the early game is all about sending out these nonsense uh, cheap units. So the Tomb Blades are the main kind of forward thrust, as well as the Wraiths. They are the units that are going to go out, tag the objectives, get ancient machineries, rack up you know, my uh, treasure, the Aeon points. And then the Silent King can either take code of combat, everything else, the Catan powers and the planes whittle things down, get them down to like one model, two models, get them down to a wounded vehicle, and then the Silent King finishes them off for points. Or I end up taking Purge the Vermin, which is the Necron secondary where you have to keep your opponent, their units at, uh, holy outside of uh, particular table quarters and your deployment zone now, and you can score at turn one. So if your opponent is just stuck in their deployment zone or, you know, hammer and anvil deployment, they're on their half of the board, you go first, you just get three points on that. Two for the table quarters on your side, one for your deployment zone. And if you just keep them out of your half at the end of your turn, consecutive turns, which the Silent King, the Plains, the Catan can do, then you just get a 15 on that secondary. You're going to get likely a 12 on Ancient Machineries, and then Treasure of the Aeon is going to be like a 12 to 15 as well. And boom, right there, all Necron secondaries, all the points racked up. You never have to leave your half of the board if you don't want to, but I typically do in order to get those Tomb Blades into a position to contest my opponent's primary. But this, this list still plays that defensive style in the sense that my damage is focused on my half of the board until I need to go into my opponent's backfield with the planes. So how I typically play it in the early game is I put the planes in a position where once they move their minimum distance in my half of the board, the Silent King can move his 10 inches with Protocol the Sudden Storm to get within six of them so that they get maximum damage. And then the following turn, I send them into my opponent's backfield, clear off an objective, 
and force my opponent's damage to go back into their deployment zone rather than towards my army that's defending my half of the board. Really well thought out plan. Heesh. Um, let's take a quick break for some station identification here, and then we'll come back and I want to talk about like command point management because I know we're talking about like the changes of the game and things like that. And you, way you built your army, I want to know how many command points you start with. And then we normally have a segment where we talk about like super combos, and you've you've kind of talked about that before, but want to see if there's anything we haven't uncovered yet. But let's take a just a couple second break, and then we'll come right back. Like what you're listening to. Be sure to check out the second part of this episode, where we break down specifically how our guest plays against all the top armies in the game. Want even more awesome Warhammer content? Check out the War Room. The War Room. You'll gain access to the minds of the best Warhammer players in the world with brand new content every single week. Join our amazing community, elevate your game, and enjoy your hobby more. And we are back. Command points. Uh, people are pretty thirsty for them right now. Played a game, a couple of games over the last week, and and the the burn rate just is different. You know, especially when people load up on detachments or pregame effects before the game gets started. Richard, how many command points does the list you just talked about start with? So because I you you're, you're looking at it, I got a patrol, I got an outrider, and then I got this supreme command here. So and then I buy an extra relic. I should be starting pretty low on CP, right? Well, no, the Silent King gives me three. (laughs) So that cancels out the cost of the Outrider. And that means I start at five command points, which is an amazing spot to be in. Because even though Necrons don't have amazing stratagems, they have a lot of utility ones. And they don't mind using, like I mentioned, a a command point reroll on uh, the Silent King's deny attempt against the Psychic Power. You have flexibility to use it as needed. Uh, They can spend a reroll on a four-up on the Silent King to keep uh, keep a Muneer alive, for instance. So starting with five, do you need to? There is a version with a Catacomb Command Barge uh, where I spend two CP on him to give him minus one damage and the Voltaic Staff. And then I start with less command points. But in this version, I start with five, and I can use them pretty freely. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility here. I don't think you need to start with five, because you're gaining one in your first turn, in your opponent's first turn. You're just going to be loading up on CP. So Necrons, they don't have a ton of like two, three CP strats that are amazing. It's mostly one command point strats, and none of them are that powerful. But I like the utility of having access to them as needed, especially ignore cover with the planes. I think that is very, very important. Can we take a brief segue to talk about like the value valuable? That's not a word. The actual value of characters <laughs> that uh, that can supplement your command points now to where I mean, Silent King. You know, we talked about his virtues and the fact that he has this command point benefit would automatically, I think, put him on the the list of things to include in someone's list. If someone has characters like that, that even if they're not as stout as SK Super Jams. Uh, but they give some type of command point break or extra or even discounts on a stratagem or whatever. Did, are those more valuable now than they were three, four weeks ago? They're definitely more valuable. It really depends on the character. So like Ultramarines is a good example. They have Gilliman who can give you command points and they have Kalgar. Are both of them good enough to include in a competitive Ultramarines list? That still remains to be seen, but they have much more of a case to be seen. A lot of the characters that gave command points outside of the Silent King were not seen very often. And in addition to that, most of them also went down in the latest uh, chapter proved. So there's double reason to bring them. It's the command point pregame economy, which you're running low on CP to start games. And then it's also the fact that many of them got points decreases. So I think we will see them more often, though I think there are quite a few armies that are okay with starting at zero or even one command point in order to build a stronger list. 
that they will buy that extra detachment. They will spend the extra command points for the relics and warlord traits they want. And they will start with zero or one simply because it's more important to build a better, well-rounded list in the pregame stage uh, to go into a tournament. Uh, Since you're playing so many games against so many different types of lists, better to do that and save up CP in the first two turns so that by turn three, you can use all the stratagems and synergies that you want to. What, what armies do you think are the best candidates? Sorry, Nick, when I just before we get too far past that, what, what armies do you think are the best candidates for burning all those CP before the game starts? I think Tau, for one, they want the best possible build. And uh, that could be single battalion. I've run single battalion versions and you start with a lot, but I think they could also go for a different version where you're you have much fewer troops and more damage dealers. I think Admech is another one. It's an army that, yes, it also does single battalion, but almost all of its good rules, its strongest rules uh, that make the army function and be a scary force on the tabletop, they are warlord traits and relics. And so you're just spending five CP on them regardless because you need all those rules in order to function as a competitive army. New Chaos Marines as well, I would say. Yeah. New Chaos Marines, I start my list at zero. I just have so many relics and warlord traits to buy. This sounds someone. like a juicy thing to uh, jump into in part two, but I wanted to yeah. uh, pick your brain on that right now. Yeah, I, I think it's very army dependent, but you're going to see a lot of armies just prioritize. You know, um, I think Necron builds without the Silent King still start at low CP simply because they want that outrider detachment to get all these fast attack slots. Well, I want to ask you, Siegs, for part of the conversation with Silent King adds value because he brings three more command points to the table, but he also brings reroll hits, reroll wounds to the table, and you're not taking large brick units to really make use of all of these these crazy buffs he brings. So do you feel like you're leaving part of his value at home um, or are you getting enough value at him so that's fine? And then how do you make that decision in your list building process? I think I'm getting a lot of value out of him. First of all, he just gives it to himself. And that is just straight up amazing. Full rerolls to hit and shooting with his abilities. And then on top of that, full rerolls to wound in combat. He is just so efficient, especially against the units that you would want to use to kind of try and tie him up, like uh, transhuman-like abilities in combat. Now he's actually effective against those as well. And then on top of that, his full rerolls to hit and shooting synergizes with the two planes in the early game. And then it synergizes in the middle of the game, turns three and four, with the Scorpec Destroyers, the two five-mans, that are my main counter-assault. So when my opponent finally commits to the center of the table with their army, I hit them with the Silent King and the Scorpex, got fight last in there, and I just let the Scorpex go to town and uh, cripple my opponent's ability to return damage to me. So yes, there isn't a huge warrior brick where I'm doing sixes to hit auto wound, full rerolls on it, but I have basically four units that the rerolls, or five units that the rerolls actually matter on, and those are my you know five of the main damage dealers. Doesn't interact with Catan, which is why um, I think there's a different build where you just run the three Catan and you just try and spam mortals. Though I think that build will struggle against um, armies that are just fast shooting because they don't have any response to it. It's just going to slowly pick up everything else. Uh, I like the response too, though. It's it's you found a different way to get value out of those buffs instead of just the the tried and true applied to twenty dudes because that's maximum value. You have like different turns for different synergies. It's well thought out. With these command points we talk about, you, you apparently have an abundance of them compared to some armies that are going into it. Do you, do you have any like combos that you keep in your back pocket to make sure that you do save some for, you know, even if it is to get you that threshold? Is this the brutal you know, cunning part, Paul? I, I don't, I feel like that's, I don't know if we should still call it that. We have to, I guess. We have to. Uh, but, we can't possibly rename it. 
but I, I mean, are people going to even have command points? I think that's. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've got command points. Let me tell you. But you don't so, spend your command points. Well, I, I don't spend them on random rerolls like you do. So I, I gotta, I gotta save them up for important. Hey, some of us have to do that. Like <laughs> the, the pain of a three-inch charge is too much to bear. We have to. Nick is the type of guy to go on a wild adventure, spend multiple CP, and then still the plan doesn't work. And I just <laughs> love it so much. <laughs> so, do you keep a couple of CP in your back pocket for anything specific? So in my particular list, I want to always end my turn with one command point. Or, or or at least have one command point at the end of my turns, minimum. Because at the start of my opponent's turn, I will gain that CP and have two. And two command points is going to be a critical marker for almost every army in the game that has any sort of melee units because it is the uh, ability to use the counteroffensive stratagem, which is the interrupt. To be able to, after your opponent swings, one of your units can then swing. It's a very powerful tool to protect yourself against being charged by multiple things in different areas, especially when opponents don't have fight last. So in that case, I am spending, a, you know, saving command points for that counteroffensive stratagem. And then outside of that, almost everything is going to be pumped into a couple of stratagems. Number one, like I said, is the ignore cover stratagem. It ignores all the benefits of cover on a single unit for the whole phase, which means I can load a ton of damage into, say, like a 10-man break of Terminators that just wants to sit in cover. Well, no cover the whole phase. I'm going to throw every single shot at it and hopefully get a good amount of value out of it. Or there's a, a unit um, that's behind an objective. The planes fly back there, but they're in cover. Well, I'm going to spend one CP, ignore cover, and then that Tesla um, is quite a bit more effective into them. So stuff like that. I'm going to use that stratagem first couple of turns when my shooting is at its maximum efficiency while the planes are alive. And then after that, I am going to use uh, flex stratagems like Malevolent Arcing to add to the mortal wounds that I'm doing alongside the Catan. I'm going to use CP on the Catan to switch their powers around. Long range powers. That, yeah. yeah, like Sky of Falling Stars, or if my opponent doesn't have units that Sky of Falling Stars can impact. They have a lot of like vehicles and monsters. I'll switch over to more Thunderbolts and uh, just try and rack up mortals that way. And when I get close, I'll switch over to Cosmic Fire. And then I also like using the 1CP, just roll a random Catan power against armies that actually can be affected by most of them. So those are ones that I like using. And then finally, I like using 1CP for plus 1 strength. I often take plus 1 strength army-wide as my command protocol. Being able to then spend the stratagem to go a further plus 1 strength on, say, a Scorpec unit is massive, especially when you throw in the reroll wounds from the Silent King uh, against some of those tougher vehicles out there. So it really helps the Scorpex punch up. Um, so those are the main stratagems that I'm using uh, game in, game out. Yeah. Now, the the uh, Satan powers, they're definitely, whatever you want to call them, they're definitely not psychic powers. <laughs> no, they're, no, they're, they're in the, the shooting phase. The you gotta, phase. They, they're not that super multi-phase damage. You're only just to limit a little bit, whatever that is. Yeah, they still say, but they are pretty wondrous, you know, and they, you know, definitely, but definitely not the warp. So uh, can you double up on them, like the same one? Uh, so the how you get multiple of the same one is when in your pregame list design, you must pick unique ones until you've done all of them. Then you can start doubling. So that just means you you pick unique ones. So I have four unique powers to start on my list. And then in your command phase, you can spend one CP to switch out one of your Catan powers. And that could be for any of them, including ones that you already have picked on a different one. So uh, obviously you can't pick the name Catan powers, but you can pick a Sky of Falling Stars on a second Catan and get that train rolling or second or a, you know, a second Cosmic Fire or Thunderbolt. Um, so that stratagem is very careful, uh, very critical for being able to get the powers you need in the matchups that you need it. So it, it, it dramatically adds to the flexibility of Catan. 
I just have one yes. more question, Mr. Sieg's. This is about your list fundamentally as a list writer. Where's the sixty flayed ones? That is just not a list, Nick. It is a list. I mean, I'm telling you, you're sleeping. Yeah, on I've it. seen people run it. I am not convinced. Yes, they are ten points a model, which is very reasonable for what you get. It's it's quite cheap. The problem is, is they are, in my opinion, inferior to warriors. And that is because warriors do the shooting, and in Novak, they can do similar types of combat, especially nearby the Silent King. And then on top of that, they are double obsec. And so if you want to do the, I'm going to just destroy my opponent's primary, the warriors do it so well because they synergize with all of the reanimation protocol rules. And that is the ghost arc, the technomancer, and resorbs. Now, flayed ones can get resorbed, and they can get one model back from a technomancer, but warriors get up to D6 back from a ghost arc if you pop the stratagem, and they get an additional D3. And that means if your opponent, you know, does chip damage to half the squad, and it's only a 9 or 10-man warrior squad, you can still get most of it back with those two. Whereas Flayed Ones, the only way to get it back is through the Res Orb, and one back from the Technomancer. That's just a world of difference, and they're so slow um, moving up the table, and it's hard to hide bricks that size, that they just get blown apart by shooting. You need to run multiple Chronomancers in that list to get 5-up invulns on multiple units, and only one can use the strat for minus 1 to hit. So... Your opponent just focuses down the other ones, and if they do a bunch of damage to the first unit and then split fire into the others, now you have a morale nightmare on your hands as well. So, And WTC, for instance, has ruled that you can't reanimate from uh, models that flee from uh, morale. So I just don't think that list is particularly good, and I think something like the Catans just doing Sky of Falling Stars all game into them is going to be brutal. By the time they hit you in combat, they basically do nothing. Because you can get them up to uh, strength six, one from the protocol, one from the strat, but still minus one to wound on Scorpix or Silent King making them fight last, you will just carve through the units. So I'm just not a huge fan of that style. I think it's too slow. It doesn't play the mission as well as a faster mobile Necron army. Well, I respect your opinion, Siegs, but as Nemesor Nick, the founder of all things Necron and the finder of things, I, I respectfully disagree. Blade ones are awesome. Let's get it on the stream. My Necrons versus your Necrons. Oh, no. This can be a debate we carry over to the second part here. Uh, and that's actually, I think, I think a good place to to pause and, and then pick it back up in the second half. If uh, if folks are just listening to this one, I want to thank everybody for finding us and listening. And uh, please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave us some five-star reviews. Some comments would be nice. Uh, we are talking about a lot about Necrons, but we're also talking about how to kind of approach and attack this new meta and want to know what's working well for people out there because, you know, can help this community grow. Uh, talking about wh- what the change is, how people adapt. It's been a great talk. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.